1: Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Stevie Jackson of Bell and & Sebastian and it's a lovely chat. Uh, we, uh, we hook up over Zoom, Stephen's at home uh, in Scotland and we talk about his creative journey and, and essentially the records that have been key uh, to, to that journey. It's a lovely chat, and uh, and we'll get it rolling shortly. Um, but beforehand, just a few thank yous. So, um, big thanks uh, to Scroobius Pip and everybody on the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to 76 for producing the podcast. Biggest thanks always go to you lot for, for listening to the podcast, supporting it, You know, doing all the things you do on the, the social medias, the likes, the loves, the shares, the retweets, and all of that. It all helps you know, get this podcast out to more people. And, you know, if people get to discover this and enjoy it, then what a bonus, um, you know, I, I do this to keep, to keep my, my, my tiny brain active. And, and I, you know, and I feel absolutely privileged to get to have these amazing chats with these, you know, these, the, the these, these absolutely lovely people that have got these amazing creative journeys that I get to, sit with for an hour and get a little snapshot into it and uh and i feel very privileged to be able to do that and yeah and and to then get to to throw it out there and uh you know when i when i have a little cast my eye over the the listenership it's it yeah warms me heart it really does that uh that people seem to be uh enjoying these matters so so thanks um obviously most of all to you lot um there's loads of ways you can um I mean I should also say that if this is your first time listening to Off the Beaten Track podcast, then um once you finish listening to my chat with Stevie, go and explore the back catalogue because there's three hundred and seventy eight episodes available. You know, you can hear me chatting to a a, a very diverse uh assortment. Of, of comedians, musicians, DJs, producers, actors. You can hear me talking to the likes of Maxine Peake, uh, Suede, Idols, Sleaford Mods, um, through to DJs like Fatboy Slim, producers such as Butch Vig. Um, oh, God, yeah. Loads of comedians and, yeah, just lots of wonderful people. and uh, And they're all available to listen to for free wherever you get your podcasts. Um, If you'd like to show a bit of love for the podcast, there's there's loads of ways you can do that. You can do it for free by just uh, subscribing, leaving a little message, um, retweeting, sharing on the socials, a little like, a little comment. Drop us a DM. Let us know who it is you'd you'd like to hear me chat to. And if you're feeling very generous for uh, 79p a month, you can support the podcast on Patreon. Uh, if you don't know too much about Patreon, um, I, I imagine most of you do. But if anybody doesn't, then I'll just give you a quick, a quick description of it. It's like a kind of little social media feed where you sign up. It's a dollar a month, uh, and then for that, um, you get access to probably three hundred. Um, episodes that I've never released, like like fundamentally like radio shows where I play records and chat. Uh, you can watch all the episodes, I put all the videos up over there. Um, so there's loads of stuff over there, and essentially that 79p goes in the pot to help with the production and, and stuff for this podcast. So um, you can find out about that at Patreon. That's P A T R E O N, patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. And if you want to find out about anything to do with this podcast, back catalogue, Patreon, merchandise, social media links, just go to the website, which is right and it's I always say this, off the beat and not beaten, off the beat and track podcast Okay. Please enjoy today's episode of Off the Beat and Track Podcast with Stevie Jackson of Bell and Sebastian. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So, One of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to... Get involved with competitions with us to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Stephen, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Lovely, Thanks. lovely. Um, before we get on to your playlist, uh, Stephen, I, I just want to ask if you can just cast your mind back over the last couple of years. And it's been a strange few years, to say the least. Um, and so I'm interested to know how you found the the lockdown, both personally
0: and creatively. Um, Personally it wasn't wasn't so bad um you know i'd um i'd actually just uh i'd moved into my new place three days three days before lockdown you know and um moved into a house with my wife and my children and um so it was kind of it was a time of great change anyway and i you know i became a father in august uh two thousand and nineteen so I was just dealing with all this stuff anyway and um and my wife had two children previous to that. So uh yeah, it was it was there was so much change happening anyway that I don't know. I don't know. It was just it was it would have been a surreal period anyway, but it's sort of dunno. It just I just had a lot to begin on with, I think. So it, it didn't it didn't affect me too much personally. Uh creatively. Um well around the house I just used to make up songs with the kids. It was pretty good. And actually, they were, they were the ones who were being really creative more than yeah. me. Um, but the group, we kind of, uh, you know, the place where we rehearse, we sort of, um, we kind of altered it to record and made it kind of COVID-friendly and things like that. So that was good. And um, after after a period, maybe starting a year ago, we started recording. So, so that was good. Uh, that was great. Okay.
1: For track one, I'm going to ask you, please, uh, Stephen, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please.
0: Oh, it's easy. Easy.
1: Well, that's weird yeah. you say that, because everybody huh. everybody says that this is a tough one out of all the questions.
0: Actually, do you know what? Do you know what? I have to be totally honest with you here. Okay. My wife kind of prompted me, and I went, what is that again? And I went, of course it is. We always talk about it. It is, it is the greatest intro of all time. <laughs> and it's great. It starts with a drum pickup, but it's... It's just one, two, three. It goes, right, and it's under my thumb by the Rolling Stones. It's, it's just the greatest. It's, and if I've ever heard that in a nightclub or something, or or someone plays it, I just I can never go over it. I think I first heard it when I was about fifteen or sixteen, and it kind of blew my mind then. But weirdly, it still blows my mind. It's just just the pure groove of it, and the the Charlie Watts's intro is just. It's outrageous in its simplicity, you know?
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's an absolute cracker. Was it Stones do it originally?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a Jagger Richard original.
1: It is. Oh, okay. Because yeah. it, it, re- it was re-recorded, was it? A bit of a Northern Soul classic as well, wasn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's been a few nice
1: versions of it. Yeah. Um, talking about intros, Stephen, from... You know, the early days of, of, of Ben and Sebastian through to, to now, the way that people, a lot of people consume their music is very different. And I just wonder, with, you know, the, the evolution of algorithms and and streaming services and playlists and, and, and such, does any of that ever penetrate the creative process for you?
0: Uh No no i think i think the only thing it it might it might uh, dictate the choice of the song title you know uh, like you know like like uh, the like if you had like a sort of generic song title like uh, i love you or something like that that might get lost in the algorithm um so you know maybe maybe not call it that maybe call it something else that's the only thing that's ever directly affected me i think um i try not to get too bogged in in any of that stuff because i'm I don't really understand most of it, anyway. So, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of, um, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's like a lot of the the modern stuff. It reminds me of like, you know, you know, twenty or thirty years ago, uh, you know, trying to trying to teach my granny how to use the video remote. You know, <laughs> things like that. I, I now feel like that person. I feel like my granny with a video remote. That's kind of. To be totally honest with you, but uh, do you, do there's there's others. But we're in a big group. we seven of us, and a lot of them are more savvy than I am. You know, but uh, yeah, but creatively, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, no, I don't know. I mean, God, that's just like a, it's like just like descending into a rabbit, rabbit Warren of hell. I, I don't know, you know. I do, think do I definitely think stop it's stop a slippery into, slope. Yeah, you know, just, you got to forget all that stuff. Did it ever enter into
1: the the, the sort of the, the process, you know, when when you was kind of, you know, first starting to to try and sort of tailor anything to get radio play, was that something that would ever be considered?
0: Um, no, no I mean, like we we just had this sort of um, story of the band's quite interesting, really, because like we kind of we kind of owe our, our success to radio play in, in a sense, or you know, the, it it kind of sprang from that, and. And it was basically like a uh, Stuart and our manager at the time, Neil. I think they just took a white label, they got in a van and drove to Manchester and like uh you know, and went to, you know, the BBC and handed it to Mark Radcliffe, you know, and he played it. And then we got a radio session and and back then it just sort of spread word from mouth from that from that initial radio broadcast and Right, and at that point, you know, the inter- this is, we're talking 1996, this is yeah. like 26 years ago. And um, it was just on the cusp of the internet really becoming a force and, you know, our fact, it just sort of spread through that as well. Um, People setting up chat rooms and, and it just went, you know. So it's, um, I think getting in the van and handing it personally was, you know, was was a... Was a big thing, and you know we were played on the radio. We bypassed the music press and everything. We, were, we, we it was very direct communication. We got played on the radio. Then um, all the other guys, radio at that time, we're still talking Radio One, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, so it was like you know Lamack and Wiley, yeah. John Peel, you know they they played us, so it was it was great. Very very lucky. Well.
1: We're looking back a little further now, and for track two, I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please.
0: Well, again, that was that was kind of easy. It's um, Van McCoy, Do The Hustle, and I just, it was, I guess it was uh, the summer of, well, I had to do my research here, but um, it was just just one summer, uh, it was in the back of my, my parents' car, and they got this new car, it was a 1969 Ford Capri. Wow, you had a Capri. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this was the summer of 75, and uh, it was just always on the radio. And it, I just remember it being always sunny, and it was just... And every time it came out on the radio, I was so happy, you know, and I just loved it. And it came on the radio all the time, yeah. so it was... And it just, and every time it came on, I just felt this emotional thing towards it. I still do. I mean, when I hear the the intro, it's really, really magical. It's got this kind of golden... Summary sound to it which i don't know it just it just sends me right back there it's it's, it's wonderful
1: what's the emotion
0: ah the emotion ah, i don't know just wonderment i think wonderment and sunshine and safety and i don't know just being with mom and dad and it all being groovy yeah. i think and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds
0: per week. Individual results may vary. You know.
1: Perfect. For track three, going to stay in the formative years, and uh, I'm going to ask you please to please tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Stephen. Say that
0: again, sorry? Uh,
1: the track that reminds you of your time at school, please.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this, well, this one I just kind of picked picked randomly really, but it just kind of came into my head because um, Baggy Trousers by Madness, when it came out, I think I was either just about to start secondary school or, um, or I'd already started, but it was it was really close to that time. And I just remember the video and I remember being kind of scared to go to school and I remember the the song informing me of what it was probably going to be like and uh there's a great line about all the teachers in the pub you know trying to passing around ready rob you know like trying to trying to get to the the strength up to go and face the kids again and that was scarily scarily accurate (laughs) you know the comprehensive element it was just like you know it's pretty it was great you know but it was you know pretty wild
1: I, i think um I think Madness are criminally underrated uh, yeah. as, as lyricists. I think some of their lyrics are incredible and, you know, people often, you know, reference like the kinks and things like that. But I, I think uh, Madness just now so many things and, and baggy trousers and, and, and tracks like Embarrassment, the social commentary in there was spot on. It really, really, really was.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I was, I was with the band a few days ago and we were doing photos. God help us. But um, for some reason, like, uh, My Girl was in my head. and mean, yeah. we just kept singing My Girl, and like, just the words are unbelievable, yeah. And you're right, it's funny you should mention the kinks, because, yeah, I mean, like, you know, like the the sort of... The tangent does... It's not kinks to blur, it's actually kinks to madness, there's no question about 100%. it. Like hundred really, percent. They really, you know, captured that kind of... That eye for detail about normal people's existence... You know, and it's it's astonishing their lyrics. Really, I mean, on top of that, they're absolute uh, musically. They were genius as well. I mean, yeah. what they put together and this completely original sound from, you know, different forms, music hall and and reggae and all kinds of things. Yeah, they're brilliant. Not to brilliant.
1: T- not not to overlook the videos as well. The videos as a young boy, yeah. you know, I'm yeah. 48 and and seeing them videos as as a young kid, mm. they, it was just so exciting. You know, they just looked like people you see walking down the street, but it was like they were having the best fun. It was like yeah. they were the, just the the greatest band that were you know as as a kid seeing Madness videos on top of the Pops was absolutely incredible. And the Baggy trousers video, seeing Lee Thompson, you know. Yeah, flying or, through, or, the flying air. through the air, yeah. <laughs>
0: it's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, they were the they were the they were the boys next door. I mean, they really yeah. were. They had that feeling about them, I and mean, they were, you know, like they were the kind of guys you just run into, you know. And I kind of looked him up. It's kind of um, I, was, I was thinking about Suggs. He was just a kid himself. I mean, like he was a really young guy. You know, yeah. like when, he, when he when he was. You know, one step beyond the album, 79. I mean, he was only 18 or 17 or 18 yeah. or something. And just uh, the absolute delivery and the, uh, you know, of, of his vocals and the wisdom of what he's saying is something else, you know. And, uh, you know, and also, I think that was the second, I think absolutely it was the second album I ever mm-hmm. owned. Um, I think got Regatta de Blanc by The Police was my first album. I got it for my birthday, and the second was yeah Christmas 98 I think absolutely was the my second it was like oh uh, runs deep you know
1: I mean your first records are meant to be a bit embarrassing but they're pretty uh, two solid choices there
0: mm. well that's nothing one of your is it your next question which asks me um what was the, the first record you bought with your money I mean it's almost too cool or it's like <laughs>
1: <laughs> hello Right, listen, this episode is brought to you in part by NordVPN. Who are NordVPN? As I keep hearing about them and other podcasters chatting about them. Well, here's just a snippet of what they do. They provide secure and private access to the internet that protects all your devices. Change your virtual location in just a click. So you find and access streaming platforms at a lower price. So essentially, you can switch location with a click and watch Netflix in the US or Australia. In fact, you can choose from over 5,200 plus servers in 60 countries. There's cyber security benefits. Public Wi-Fi, for instance, is notorious for being a hotbed for hackers to steal your data. But by using NordVPN on your devices, it will protect you from hackers. You can grab an exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash OTBT. Use that code OTBT and get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free, a bonus gift. And most importantly, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, and that's a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal here at nordvpn.com forward slash OTBT. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Before we get there, I just want to ask about um, Skull. Was, was, was that something that you enjoyed, Stephen?
0: School. Um, no, I mean, I think like I remember my first day of primary school and just not wanting to go. So I mean, like I, I've got in my memory, I kind of hated school really. Secondary school, it was going to a bigger school and it was like, you know, a comprehensive, and I was a bit scared because it was just going to be a bit wider, well, uh, wider, sorry. And um, I actually enjoyed secondary school more. You know, it was. There was a few hard nuts, but they were all nice to me. So it was all right. You know, I wasn't too scary. And I made friends and, you know, had a had a pretty good time, you know. I was still pretty... I always, like... Um, my academic career is noted from staring out the window daydreaming and that never really changed. So uh, it was all right, yeah. I was the first person... Well, you know, I was the first person in my school to get the belt, get the belt right? And I think, well, if you're, you're 40, I'm 53, so, I mean, it, you know it would have been phased out by the time I think the belt was banned 1982 or something. But uh, I was the first person in my year in primary, uh, sorry, in first year to get the belt. And all the tough guys what? Uh, who's this guy? Who's this guy? <laughs> Do you know what I got it for? For whistling. And, um, <laughs> yeah, there was this song called Tom Hark by Piranhas. Or it was Piranhas by Tom Hark. I can't remember. It was a... And yeah. I, was, I, was in, I was in this class. They were pretty tough. It's a pretty tough class, you know. They're pretty a few hard guys, and they were winding up the teacher. Everybody was whistling this, and I wasn't. I was just doing my work, you know, and, and you know. And she goes, "Next person that does that." And of course, I'm just not thinking. I'm just like, I just love music, and I just found myself whistling it without even thinking. And I get dragged outside, whacked, and the, the word spread. He got the bell, and everybody thought I was a tough guy. And then. All the all the top boys stood back and went, Who's this guy? And then he sussed it. I was a really <laughs> quiet gentle sort of guy and you know you know not a threat to their dominance, so it was alright.
1: You referenced oh. looking out the window, daydreaming. What 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 did what did young Stephen wanna be? Um I, uh, I
0: think I think like um <laughs> it was primary school. I think it was really random things like a, an airline pilot or a, an architect for some reason. I've no idea where that was, but just thought it sounded quite cool. And then by the time I was about 11 or 12, it was musician or, or being a band or, you know, being the Monkeys or the Beatles or, you know, it was quite impressive. I was to my dad and he went, oh, yeah, when I was 12... Um, you know, you bought me for my first guitar down in uh, the salt market in Glasgow. And they went, no, I didn't. I went, no, you did. You took me down. I went, I didn't. I went, no, you did. You did. It was 1981. You did. You did. And they went, no, I didn't. You bought your guitar. And so I did. I'd totally forgotten. I'd, I'd kind of got a paper around, saved up uh, saved up money and went bought a £15 guitar. And actually, do you know what? Well, I can show you it. It's right here. Uh this is the guitar folks
1: amazing
0: yeah yeah 15 quid at the salt market and um, yeah so I mean I don't know I must have had some kind of inner thing that I wanted to you No, know, I was 12 at that point so yeah and I bought my own guitar and saved up for it and so I don't know it took me a few years before I could play it but um I did have that that thing pretty early on I think
1: how musical was was home Stephen uh, was
0: there records on Um, My my mum and dad didn't have lots and lots of records, but what they did have was, you know, very, very, you know, influential on me. Um, The records, it was a kind of nice random selection. There was like Frank Sinatra. There was Manfred Mann, Paul Jones, Manfred Mann compilation. There was uh, uh, Gordon Lightfoot, If You Could Read My Mind album, which still blows my mind. Simon Garfunkel's Sounds of Silence LP. Um, again, you know, still play that one to this day quite a lot. Barbara Streisand's Greatest Hits Volume 2. That's got some crackers on it. Yeah. Her version of Stony End is pretty great, you know, the Lola Niro song. I like Barbara Streisand a lot, actually. She's really good. Um, and there was, like, you know, there was a few Elvley Brothers, 45s. I devoured them, and there was one Beatles record. It was a Twist and Shout EP, and that was my favourite.
1: Well, <clears I>
0: play <throat> that one an awful lot.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk record stores. And for track four, I'm going to ask you, please, David, the first song you ever buying from a record shop.
0: Well, I don't. I, my first memory of my, with my own money going into a shop and buying a record. It wasn't a single, you know. I not I, I didn't really buy singles for some reason. I mean, I remember Get Given, you know, I had, you know, Remember You're a Wombo single, you know, that was... That would have been a good first record if I'd bought it, but the first, I kid you not, the first record I ever had my paper and money and I, would, I went into uh, uh, John Menzies and Clydebank Shopping Centre and I bought Rubber Soul by the Beatles and that was uh, that was the first record I ever bought. And it, You know, it sounds like I'm trying to show off or something, you know, why isn't it, you know? do know or whatever you know, but uh, no, it was. I'd see, I'd seen the cover. I I found this book called Beatles Forever, and, and I opened the cover and I saw that I opened inside the book and it was a picture of the album cover. I, I just it kind of really moved me. I you know, I, there was something about it which wow, I've got to own that you know, and uh, so I did. I got I got like a fiver together. You know, dollars four ninety nine or something, and uh, that was my first record bought. Don't get a lot better than that. Yeah, you know, I went home and, like, um, I knew a few of the songs. Um, but I remember I went home and my sister and I played Monopoly and I played it, you know. And, I, yeah, it was, it was something else, really, really good.
1: I do love uh, the fact that when I ask people this question, you know, people over, I guess, over the ages of about 35, always have such strong memories of not just owning that but the journey and you know you you reference going into town where you got it how much you paid for it when you got it home what you yeah. done when you put it on and i think that that's something that's lost in the digital age of of streaming yeah. services and i think that's a shame i do think yeah. that something is lost there in that attachment to to the journey and 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 just one last question on on record shops says you know <laughs> I guess the, the the independent record shops have probably been like, you know, so very important. In, in, you know, in for for a lot of I imagine Bell and Sebastian fans. Um, what's your relationship been uh, like with uh, with the independent record shops over the years?
0: I feel strong. I mean, I was there's one in Glasgow. I was in, uh, pardon me, my wife and I were there on Sunday and we we're buying records. You know, it's um, monorail in Glasgow, which is. With the best independent record store. Um, Yeah. Very, very, very strong. I mean, like when we've been our first record, Tiger Milk, we went around personally to, uh, you know, give, you know, give the record out, you know, distribute the record amongst our local independent shops of which at that point in 96, there was, there was a few more than there are now, you know, yeah, Um, most of them are gone. And, uh, and I've still got actually part of my memorabilia. I've still got the receipt book somewhere. I, you know, it's was one of the things I keep. You know, of like uh, going into Lost Court in Barrow's Road, and giving them you know ten albums and getting the receipt for it. And, you know, it was...
1: what a lot salary return.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. amazing. It, those those were the days. We actually, <laughs> yeah, because they were. This is before we were signed to a label, but we we're in, it was a still college. Um, you know, it was like a a college project really. And we had a thousand copies and we took them around the shops ourselves. It's great.
1: Let's move things forward a little bit for track five. Uh, And the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please, Stephen.
0: Uh, Well, yeah, I was never much of a clubber to be honest with you. Like, uh, like to say, like, uh, you know, I was, you know, when I was a teenager, I was just, Right at the forefront of the clubbing see, I just wasn't really, I just, you know, kind of built a homebody, to be honest with you. The, the one point I do remember being in clubs is sort of during the Britpop era, kind of mid-90s, and I was actually kind of older then, I was maybe like 26 or something, 25. I remember going to clubs every week at that point. Um, I remember on a Wednesday night, we used to meet down the hall and then going, you know, there'd be an open mic on and then, uh, you know if we went in the centre of town pubs were open for another hour so we'd have a drink there and then we go to the garage uh, which is in, also on Suck Hill Street and yeah it was, it was sort of like I say it was a bread pop era but it was like tied in with like playing lots of kind of mod 60s stuff small faces and all that kind of thing so uh, yeah I mean when I, we said clubbing I'm not really a clubber I suppose I was kind of then and just randomly I picked um uh, Disco 2000 by Pulp, Great which I just, I just remember always being played and uh, being a big, big song at the time.
1: It's weird, isn't it? I've, I've, um, I've run a, a, a an indie venue and, and club night for for 31 years, and uh, and it's, it's 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 crazy to think that, that when I you know throughout the 90s and and, and the early noughties and such the Anywhere you went in any town, there'd be you know three or four student indie nights, or you know as you say that they' them kind of northern soul mod indie crossover nights and and yeah. and and they've all gone they barely exist anymore and yeah. and you know thankfully my 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 venue still seems to be sort of you know doing okay um but, yeah, I don't know. It seems that the indie Nights just disappeared. Like, Maybe I'm just too old to know that they exist, but uh, I, I, I never see them floating about anymore. Not that I've got any place to be knocking about in them anywhere uh, at my elderly state, but
0: yeah.
1: I always used to see flyers and posters and such for indie Nights wherever yeah. I went, and uh, yeah. it seems them days are gone.
0: Maybe. You know, there's a few still hanging on. You know, I, I forgot to mention. you know, I was saying clubbing night. Like, there was one club I did go to quite a lot to... Which was divine in the art school, uh, Andy Simonton. and that's been going for I think it's thirty years or something. It was ninety two it started, and nearly that's still going. I mean, it's changed venue I mean, a few times, but he, he's still doing it. And the Northern Soul Up uptight and good foot, they were they, they were really big um, during that period. You know, yeah. the, the and, yeah, They're not Irish? I don't think.
1: For uh, track six, Stephen, I'm going to take you home for a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please.
0: Um, Well, county, I just took that to mean Scotland, right? Or um, we, can, we can go country, of course. <laughs> it's county. county. I don't even know what county I'm in. It's like, one uh, well, i in Glasgow. It used to be part of Lanarkshire. I'm actually a bit vague on that. But I picked, a, I just picked, it's quite an obvious one, really, which was uh, a band that, I think one of the first songs I learned to play in the guitar was by this band, uh, the band's Orange Juice, and like any, I think anyone of my age, and also you know like Stuart or Singer and stuff, and um, a lot of other people. They were they're just a very very key band for everybody. Uh, this kind of magical group <laughs> uh, from from Scotland. I mean, I think I think actually the singers from. Uh, Dundee or something. Uh James Kirk, he's he's sweet He's from just outside Glasgow. Um but we can acclaim them. They, they were in postcard records and you know they sprang from here and uh yeah, I picked the first song on the first LP Falling and Laughing. It's uh I don't know, it's it's far it's hard to find the words. It's uh Musically, it's—I don't know—it's a, it's a kind of punk rock, birds or something. It's sort of—it's got this real yeah. punky energy, but it's jangly and uh, it's sort of the vocals and the singing. It's sort of innocent but knowing at exactly the same time. And I don't know how you pull that one off, but they, they do. Yeah. You know, it's—it's it's great. And maybe, maybe they've sort of got you know, nothing like them, but they've maybe got a, that kind of magic that Madness had as well. Early Madness, right? It's something. I don't know. And they looked cool as well. They had shades on and, you know, they were kind of, just, they had great guitars and they were just great looking people. And, you know, aspirational man, they look fantastic and they sound fantastic. And,
1: as, yeah. as as a young aspiring musician, like how important was, you know, seeing bands from where you come from, like, you know, Larry Juice and, and obviously, you know, the, the stuff that was happening on Postcard, like how how important was that for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, I don't, I think for, for, um, for me personally, it probably meant more when I hooked up with the guys in Bell and Sebastian. It sort of kind of refocused my Scottishness or something <laughs> uh, to to a degree. I mean, like uh, when I was younger, I'd done all kinds of things. I went for a kind of, I played a lot of kind of, you know, you know. I was so into the Rolling Stones that I ended up getting into kind of blues quite, you know, and it was kind of from my I played muddy Waters songs and things like that, and playing harmonica and you know I played with this guy he played really good bottleneck guitar, so it was sort of um we went through these phases and um by the time I joined the group, yeah you know like on you know postcard was really important i sort of, i'd sort of remembered, and maybe it was because we were you know we were going around um Distributing the, the record, records ourselves, and it felt very, very homegrown and kind of punk rock. And so, you know, it was it was definitely a touchstone to what we were doing with uh, Postcard. You know, uh, it's kind of legendary. You know, the uh, Alan Horn flat was in West Brompton Street. We knew which door it was, and you know, he had the master tapes in his drawer. You know, and things like that. You know, it's just. There's a kind of magic to that as well. Absolutely. A romance, definitely a romance to it. In the early days of the group, it felt like that, you know, it felt like a connection to that. Very romantic.
1: For the last track, Stephen, you can play DJ and Tastemaker there, uh, or I think they call them influencers nowadays. Um, (laughs) Stephen, can you tell me a song that you think uh, our listeners may not know that you would like them to hear?
0: Well, you know, it's always it's always like a kind of dodgy uh, territory. This because, like, uh, um, you know, assuming that people, you know, people don't know stuff. One thing I've learned, I've learned from my nieces, and it actually ties to what you were talking about before—the influence or the uh, the process of you know buying a record and all that's gone. But people are so eclectic now, as well. You know, I think one one upside of the digital age is that uh, people, you know, like. A lot of people, uh, younger people, um, have a really wide range of musical knowledge that maybe I didn't have. I wasn't quite so eclectic. I like to think am now. Anyway, um, I, I just thought of a song at random and I looked on Spotify and had like 200,000 listens and I went, well, that's not too many, you know. So Anyway, it's um, it's a record I was trying to rip off recently. <laughs> <Being Spotify. laughs> um, it's It's by a guy called Jim Ford, and it's called Harlan County. It's just a banger. It's like a sort of country rock banger, but it's just hell for weather. A bit of storytelling. It's got a bit of humour in it. It's got great playing on it. So it's sort of, uh, you know, it's, um I don't know, it's kind of country soul, full-on classic from, I don't know what year it is, 70 or something, 71, I don't know.
1: How do you uh, discover music now, Stephen?
0: That's it. Um, do you know a lot of it's from my wife. Um, my wife used to run a record label uh, called Earth. And uh, she's from uh, Cornwall and, um, you know, she, a lot of English folk music is her thing. And just, I've got so into a lot of that that stuff and, yeah, um, just what, what she plays. And she plays lots of, you know, female country folk artists which I just which I you know like I wouldn't normally wouldn't come across and uh, so it's been great it's been great and she also like uh, her and her daughter do really like Taylor Swift as well we did the other side of the spectrum and went oh, Taylor Swift's on I quite like some of that um, so I don't know um, just I think being married is uh, <laughs> it's like so I changed how I listen to things to a degree so it's good it's good to live, in. and she's got some amazing records. I'm actually looking. at them just now, and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of. We've only been living together for a year or two, and I'm still. There's still a few I've got to get to and discover. You know, so that's that's exciting, and also, I think uh, just listen to the radio. You know, like, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I was. Uh, I don't know, just an example. Like I was listening to Radcliffe and McConey, and this song came on. And it was an artist I'd heard of and seen live and stuff. And it was, I was like, that's a great song. What is that song? What's that song? What's it? It, was a, it was called uh, Moderation by Kate LeBond, you know? And I went, oh, wow. Wow. Then I started playing lots more Kate LeBond. So, yeah, I mean, that's just your kind of traditional way of hearing stuff, but I uh, yeah, just listen to the radio.
1: Well, we put together a a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast of all the songs that we've uh, spoken about today, Stephen. Um, Looking ahead to hopefully a a more connected and and positive 2022, Um, what are you looking forward to from the rest of this year, Stephen? And what's going to be happening professionally?
0: Um, Got records coming out and playing live. Um, As... what I hope to be doing well the records are happening um, we're supposed to actually we're supposed to be playing the UK as we speak um, February 2022 but get put back to November so I'll be looking forward to that um, yeah. playing playing again Wonderful. I know I've got this horrible feeling I've developed stage fright in the last uh, <laughs> you know three years we did this thing um, called a TED Talk and I was kind of terrified. I've never been to stage. I've never had stage fright in my life. And I'm, I'm kind of. I'm hoping it's not like a, uh, you know, like a, an effect from the pandemic that I've now got stage fright. You know, in my fifties, I'm now frightened to go on a stage. But
1: uh. did, did you find that you got a, a, a kind of a little bit of sort of? I mean, I I certainly got a little bit agoraphobic. I found yeah. when we was let out, which sounds ridiculous when we was let out. When when when. Um, the restrictions were were lowered, you know, in the in the fir- the first time. I, I went to see someone um, about half an hour away, and just from eating. And then when I finished, they were like, um, "I mean, I no, I've got to get back, mate. I, I, I better go." And as I was driving back, I was thinking, "I haven't got to be back. I've literally been sitting indoors for the last year. Why? What is this pull that's making me feel like I need to go back home?" And I thought that was quite scary. And I thought, right, I need to kind of address this and not feel that desire that go back home
0: i'm interested how did you address it
1: uh i just made sure that i had done plenty of things to ensure i had to get out of the house and i had to go and put myself in in situations that i'd never have thought twice about you know a year before that but but now felt very strange and awkward and yeah yeah i just and
0: yeah i think i think there might be something to that yeah i don't something's changed for sure yeah i don't yeah maybe possibly (laughs) But
1: do you think surely, like I mean, what what you do as a you know for a job, going on stage in front of you know huge crowds of people, that isn't a, I guess it's very normal for you, but it's not a, it it it's not normal for many people, and not many people would have the confidence or or you know or or, or yeah, I just fundamentally the confidence to do that. Um, do you think it's anything like, you know, like a a boxer that doesn't train, if a boxer doesn't train and fights yeah. can lose, do you think you have to kind of stay match fit for want of a better description to to do to do gigs? I know obviously you, you rehearse and such, but the well, actual yeah, yeah. experience of being on stage, is, is that's what's more scary than, than anything else?
0: Yeah, well, it's never scary at all because I mean, I, I played my first show when I was 15 or something and played consistently ever since in one form or another. So it's a weird one. It's like, um, I never I, envisaged being nervous or frightened of going on stage ever. I just could never envisage it. I just felt comfortable being there. And also, you know, you're in a group, you're in a gang, so it's not like,
1: yeah.
0: I'm not the lead singer. I don't feel that pressure. I just go and have a good time and, uh, you know, play the guitar and sing a bit and all that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, um, yeah, you have to be match fit to practice, you know, and like actually that, I, you know, like the last few months I was, God, I can't play guitar anymore. I, better, yeah. <laughs> I think I was also like having a having a my son as well. Cause um just naturally I, I was I didn't have to practice so much because I was always holding a guitar. It used to actually drive my bandmates crazy because i was you know, we'd be having a meeting and I'd be like tinkering away on it and eventually they sort of banned me from doing it. But I was always holding a guitar, you know, watching a watching TV or watching a film, always holding a guitar just and uh and just recently, you know, like, I went. God, this hurts. <laughs> I better, I'm, I'm too, I've been too busy playing with my kid and doing all that, and I've got to better start practicing. And you know, and I think I'm, I think I've got it back, and that's fine. But yeah, it's funny. It's, it will be weird being back out there again, but but be wonderful as well. You know, be great. It
1: will be, absolutely. I look forward to seeing it as well. Um, Stephen, thank you so much for giving up your time today. It's been really lovely talking records with you, mate.
0: Pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you. There you go. Thank you very much, Stevie Jackson. Um, Talking about those early days of, you know, hawking copies of um, Tiger Milk around the independents. It was just lovely to hear that, you know, stumbling across... Bell and Sebastian in the in the mid nineties just felt like they just felt indier than indie. And and as a, a mid nineties indie kid, I was like glitter on glue on anything I could find uh from Bell and Seb. So it was absolutely It was an absolute delight to get to to sit and speak to to Stevie today. Um, In the lead up to this chat, I was just rinsing Bell and Seb on the stereo again and just reminding myself just what an incredible band they are. Um, I urge you to do the same. I'll put some of their tracks um, alongside Stevie's picks on the Spotify playlist. So go over and check that out now. Um, Other than that, as mentioned at the beginning, if you'd like to support the podcast, it costs you a dollar a month, a 79p a month. What, what's that 20p a week uh, and it all goes in the pot and it really does help um so you can find out about that and everything else you need to know about this podcast off the beat and track podcast.com. thanks ever so much for listening thanks again to stevie um yeah be nice to each other i'll see you next time much love bye bye off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces
0: network. With me stew with him.